Here's everything you might have missed in Rick and Morty Season 6, Episode 4. Welcome back, you bunch of squanchers, to our weekly breakdown of Rick and Morty. This week's episode, Knight Family gave us a heaping helping of John Carpenter-inspired horror and plenty of Easter eggs and details that you might have missed. We're going to break it all down for you in just a moment, but to do so, we have to spoil what happens. So if you haven't seen the episode yet, maybe go, like, take a nap or do the dishes in the meantime. It takes two seconds. If you don't, the schmutz dries and makes the dish harder to clean. Rinse your dishes. Rinse. All right, let's get into it, shall we? The episode begins with an excerpt from T.S. Eliot's fragment of an Aegon, part of an unfinished poetic drama from the man who gave us both the wasteland and the basis for Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber's Cats. Jellical indeed. But here the hoo-hahs come for everyone in the family as they quickly abuse the somnambulator device that Rick uses to force his sleeping self or night person to give him a sick set of abs. Damn, check out that washboard, yo! <laughs> hey, too hard. You know, just in case they didn't learn their lesson the first time from Mr. Meeseeks. Also, for those who don't know, somnambulation is another term for sleepwalking. In terms of inspirations, writer Rob Schraub specifically invoked John Carpenter in the post-show interview. The concept of the Knight family calls to mind horror classics revolving around sleep and the loss of control over oneself, like the movie Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It may also harken back to old-school horror films like the silent movie The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, both thematically and visually. That film revolves around an insane hypnotist using a sleepwalker to murder people, and it also uses a wash of blood bluish green for its nighttime color palette. As for the way the Knight family talks, that seems to be inspired by more recent entries like Jordan Peele's Us, with its murderous group of doppelgangers looking to take control of their surface-dwelling counterparts. Moving on, Rick and Morty get so obsessed with their rock-hard abs that they start a podcast called Fabsolutely Abulous, a play on the 90s British sitcom Absolutely Fabulous. And during their ad read, Morty mentions the sponsor wants Rick to say Wubba Lubba Dub Dub, his famous catchphrase translating to... I am in great pain. Please help me. But Rick refuses, saying they're not sellouts. But, guys, considering the sheer amount of Rick and Morty merchandise out there, especially emblazoned with Wubba Lubba Dub Dub, I'd beg to differ. Now, at one point, we get a rare look into Rick's room, where he has an elaborate alarm clock that hatches a chicken from an egg, then accelerates its lifespan until it dies moments later, which is pretty bleak. Now, that makes me wonder if the eggs that Rick uses for his garbage science later on to power the laser cage are the same ones from his alarm clock. More tellingly, there are a number of familiar faces on the wall of Rick's room. We can see Mr. Meeseeks, the cursed blue creatures from Season 1's Meeseeks and Destroy, who exist to fulfill a singular purpose before shuffling off this mortal coil. And as we saw last week, Rick still has the Meeseeks box stashed away inside his hidden liquor cabinet. There's also a photo of Aberdolf Linkler, the Hitler-Abe Lincoln hybrid that Rick genetically engineered in Season 1's Rixie Business. There's a photo of the dearly departed Dr. Xenon Bloom, the John Hammond-esque character who co-founded Anatomy Park with Rick in the Season 1 episode of the same name. We can also see a picture of a Zygerian, one of the Race of Galactic Con artists who we saw in Season 1's M. Night Shyamalians. Next up, when the Knight family destroys all of the plates that Rick refused to scrape, we get an extended Avengers Infinity War parody. Much like Thor journeys to Nadavalier to forge Stormbreaker with Eitri, Rick ventures to the Forbidden Zone to make brand new unbreakable plates. The Forbidden Zone is apparently eight Marmadukes past the Outer Rim, which references the Great Dane of newspaper comic strip fame. Now remember, Marmaduke creator Brad Anderson actually appeared as a character on the show back in Season 1 in Raising Gazorpazorp, so clearly the team just has a deep fondness for that goofy cartoon dog. 
Tell me that wasn't Brad Anderson. When Summer sent to go undercover among the Knight family, the suit she's wearing kind of reminded me of the suits from Event Horizon. That's another sci-fi horror film involving people having their bodily autonomy taken away from them, except in that case, it's by a demon from beyond our reality. This ship. Of course, the more direct reference here, which Summer aptly calls out, is Terry Gilliam and his production design in sci-fi films like Twelve Monkeys. Uh, aren't they going to be suspicious seeing Night Summer covered in all this Terry Gilliam? They're not going to question her. She's the leader of the Night family for some stupid reason. The next day, Summer says that she wants pancakes from Shoney's. Shoney's is a real-life restaurant chain, but this specific diner first appeared in season three's The Rick Shank Redemption. This was where Rick was being interrogated by an agent from the Galactic Federation. Well. You might as well order some pancakes because I don't see the need to leave this part of my brain. After tricking Rick into lowering the force field around the house, Night Summer tells Rick that his opinion means very little to her. And this is a callback to a similar line in season one's Rick Potion number nine. I'm sorry, Summer, your opinion means very little to me. And given that Night Summer says she's been waiting to take over for a while, clearly she also has some deep-seated resentment towards Rick, which is probably totally fair. <sighs> what? Nothing. No. Go on, say it. Using a combo of tranquilizer darts and robotic assistance, Night Summer forces her family to do various tasks. One of the tasks these so-called daemonoids have to do is get rid of any movie with day in the title, like Groundhog Day or Independence Day, and keep them in favor of things like Talladega Nights, or as we see later, the Night at the Museum franchise. Also, one of the robots inexplicably talks like Jerry Lewis, which is just delightful. You are most definitely surrounded. Outside the house, we get the return of the Smith family's well-intentioned but nosy neighbor, Gene, voiced by Tom Kenny. Having a bit of trouble with your car, Sanchez? Not now, Gene! <gasps> Instead of getting propositioned by Rick's garage this time, he's getting scolded for asking obvious questions about the family car, and then having his garden Tokyo drifted into smithereens. Why even bother, Gene? Later, during the chase sequence, we get a classic animated visual gag as the cop car detonates increasingly flammable buildings for hyper-specific businesses. This is a proud tradition in animation, maybe best exemplified by the Simpsons bit with sideshow Luke Perry, whose ill-fated blast out of a cannon takes him through a sandpaper museum, a display of acid jars, and eventually a pillow factory. The post credit scene features the Knight family ceding control to the Daemonoids after they run out of money. The most horrific realization for Rick and company, though, isn't how long they've been out, but rather what happened. They find that they've discontinued the Choco Taco. <laughs> Sadly, this isn't a bit. In case your night person's been in control for too long, the Choco Taco was actually discontinued this year on July 25th. Klondike said the decision was motivated by unprecedented demand for their products, implying the Choco Taco was an underperformer relative to the rest of their portfolio. But given how Rick and Morty got McDonald's to actually bring back their Szechuan sauce in real life, well, anything is possible. And it's delicious. And then they got rid of it. And now it's gone. This is the only place we're going to be able to try it is in my memory. Rick, you're doing this bit while your brain is melting. Okay, all right, all right. Anyway, folks, there you have it. That's everything we spotted in Rick and Morty's latest episode. We'll be back with another breakdown next week, but in the meantime, tell us what did you think of the latest episode? Did you spot anything that we missed? <sighs> what? Nothing. No, go on. Say it. Let us know in the comments below, and for the latest and greatest in the world of pop culture, make sure you stay tuned to Nerdist.com. 